sometimes I promise you guys, I'm gonna promise you again, you're not wasting your time watching the show or listening to this show. Everything that seems to be happening these days, a lot of you have DM'd me, eh, you guys talked about this two months ago. Sure did. I have confidence that we're very well sourced on a lot of what's going on in college football right now. Can't share the sources, can share the information, and I'll do even more of it tonight. I don't really care what we're talking about. On multiple fronts, we're well covered on this show. I appreciate you guys. You know who you are that take care of us behind the scenes. We're jam-packed. We're high atop sort of a discombobulated downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Late kick Thursday, February 22nd, the year of our Lord, 2024. There's no more hypothetical There's no more wondering who's right and who's wrong about the future of the playoff. They've exposed themselves now. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry. Not for the faint of heart, this show tonight. Not for the faint of heart, but I'll lead the show with it. I've got some thoughts on Alabama. Uh, Notre Dame psychosis has set in a little bit. That's that thing where people lose all sense of reality and boundaries and logic when it comes to talking about certain things, Notre Dame being one of them. I'll discuss tonight. Coaches are chirping back and forth at each other. Half of them are saying we're overworked. The other half saying, suck it up, deal with it. We are blessed to have this job. And I'm over here like, it could be some truth in both avenues. Uh, but I've, I've got some pretty strong takes on that. You know that I've spoken about this at length. I will do it again tonight, but from a much different angle. Because we actually have quotes, not from me, but from coaches. Also, I decided I have four more mystery teams than I need to talk about. We did four, Jesse, I think the other night. We got some more that we need to do. So we're jam-packed as jam-packed could possibly be. This could be a September show tonight. That's how jam-packed we are. They're watching us in Lansing, Michigan, probably east of town as well. They're watching us in San Antonio, Texas, South Bend, Indiana, and Vidalia, Georgia. I would advise you guys to be following on the socials, at Lake Kick Josh. I will be somewhere next Wednesday. I will sit down with a major head coach. I will have a full-length conversation with that head coach, probably on the show next Thursday, or we may just drop it Wednesday. I don't know. But the Pate State Speaker Series is about to crank up, and that means a lot of behind-the-scenes access and content for you guys, and I don't know how long we're going to be on the road. The only thing I'm guaranteeing you, I'm guaranteeing you I'm going to Iowa State at some point this spring. That much I can assure you, but that's not where I'm going next week. So we're about to have a lot of fun this spring because who in the world wants to sit cooped up in an office building downtown when we could get out on the road and be living life and it overlaps with storm chasing season? Got my eyes on a system possibly rolling through the south next Wednesday. So conflict of interest there. Anyway, at Lake Kick Josh. All right, that's the fun and games portion of the show, and there will be more fun later in the show, but it's, it's, it's time for the pin drop. I went and talked to Director Colin moments before the show. I said, Colin, I feel like we need a little something extra for this A block. I feel like people need to have their fears calmed, and even if you are scared and your fears aren't calmed, I want you to know that you have an ally, and so Director Colin um, went and got the starter logs, and he went and got the accelerant because we didn't have a lot of time to build it. And voila, we're doing the uh, fireside chat again tonight. So, yeah, thank you, Colin. Nice zoom in. If you're on a podcast, if you can't see us live, it's, just, it's toasty. It's very toasty. <sighs> Air conditions cranked way down in the studio tonight. Colin, here's your end point. Fireside chat time. What's going on with the college football playoff? I know you saw the headlines, and if you didn't, a couple of pendulums swung in our sport yesterday. Okay, the first one sounded like this. Pete Thamel, ESPN. According to sources, the idea 
of a 14-team college football playoff was discussed by the management committee at meetings in the Dallas area today. If that happened, it would begin in 2026. Nothing is imminent, but it's a significant idea that was discussed. You may be thinking to yourself, how can they expand to 14? We haven't even had a season of 12. The answer is, these people were disingenuous about 12 all along. They were never stopping at 12. If you watch this show, that's not breaking news to you because it was so easy to see Ray Charles could have written an entire song about it. So we're past that already. There's no freak out. We're not shocked by that. But another pendulum swung yesterday. I think a lot of you participated in this one. You know that you and I, some of you and I, have had our differences in the past about what's best for college football. Should we have the BCS model? Should we have a 12-team playoff, a 14-team playoff? Should we have the BCS computers seed the playoff instead of having a committee? All different sorts of odds and ends, and everyone's got their own take on it. But what I noticed yesterday for the first time is massive amounts of people who I know in the past have been pro-expansion had their eyes open. You realized what's happened. You realized these people had this as the end goal all along. Uh, they gaslit you. They got you to go along with it. And then yesterday, all of a sudden, this headline comes out, and a lot of the expansionist crowd's like, hold on. That's not what we signed up for. You're absolutely right. It's not what you signed up for but it is what you signed up for. You just didn't know it. They, they pulled the bait and switch on you. You know, you signed up for something and unbeknownst to you, there was a little box checked down in the far corner and you signed up for emails and marketing that you never wanted. I didn't sign up to be on this email list. Yeah, you did. You just didn't read the fine print. So here's what I wanted to do tonight. Not an I told you so deal whatsoever. I realized that over the span of six, 12 months, we add hundreds of thousands of people to this show. And so a lot of people are new here and they don't know why we feel the way we feel or why I feel the way I feel. Uh, there are a lot of folks who want college football playoff expansion out there. You feel however you want to. I've felt a certain type of way about it for a long time. But I notice in the back and forth I have in a lot of cases, a lot of you are confused as to how someone could feel the way I feel. Why in the world would you push back against this stuff? Well, I think the answer to that is also the answer in which you can understand a lot of what's going on here. Like, why would these people be of this mentality? Why can't these people leave well enough alone? When is enough enough? You've probably found yourself asking a lot of those questions lately, even if you are pro-expansion, because I know good and well a lot of you out there wanted a 16 model or an 18 model, or maybe some of you wanted 12 teams, but even you're looking and saying, 14, 16, like, where does it stop? It doesn't. That's the whole point. It doesn't, and some of us kind of had that feeling from the get-go, but forget about that, okay? So let me tell you why I feel the way I feel, and you can, um, you can chime in, disagree with me, or, or add on to it, whatever you want to do, but I wanted to go fireside chat here because I wanted to explain to you where my mind's at on this. I was against college football playoff expansion because I thought what's happening now was probably the most likely path. Candidly, if you told me that we would expand this thing to six or even eight teams and stop there, I would have been okay with it. But I knew there was no world where these folks would expand this to six or eight period. And even if they did, there was no world where they expanded it to six or eight and then stopped and threw the key in a lake, never to be found again. They were always going well past that because these people don't have the greater good of college football 
in their mind, it's not the interests that they're serving. They're serving their own interests, okay? That sucks, but it is what it is. That's what we have to deal with right now. The reason I feel the way I feel, the reason I'm totally fine leaving it even pre-playoff in the BCS model is because my love of college football has never been rooted in the postseason. And that's different than Major League Baseball. That's different than the way I watch the NFL, where I'm worried about playoff and Super Bowl. College football is one of one for me. There's nothing else out there like it. There's no comp. There's no parallel. Therefore, there is no other sport I look at and say college football needs to be more like that right there. College football was fine. It was fine the way it was. And a lot of folks enjoyed Saturdays just because they were Saturdays. And whether you had Georgia Tech face in North Carolina, both teams, three or four losses already on the resume, it, it's, its meaning did not derive from whether or not there were postseason implications on the line. It was just that we had a ton of teams, like over 100 teams, playing a sport. We kind of recognized most of them aren't capable of winning a national championship. It's ludicrous to tie their meaning and their worth to access to winning that championship because there are vast gulfs in resources, team to team, program to program. And so once upon a time, logic prevailed, more or less, and, you know, if you were a Louisiana Tech fan, you did not pretend to be playing the same sport as the University of Alabama. Then someone came along and changed all of it. And if you're new to this sport, you may be 15 years old, and a lot of this happened before you were able to walk and chew gum at the same time. Let me explain to you a very, very quick snapshot of what's happened, because you, I got papers all over the place. You, you don't really need to be well-read on this because it's happened in other sectors of society long before it happened in college football. Here's basically all you need to know. A bunch of people who really didn't care about college football so much, they more cared about deepening their pockets, a bunch of people came along and they saw college football. And college football was really, really good, but it was good for fans. It wasn't necessarily fully leveraged from a profit maximization standpoint. And they realized, well, we could make a whole lot more money on this thing. And so being absent of central leadership, no one stopped them. They just walked in the door and they built themselves an ATM, but they called it a playoff. See, they built the ATM so it would print money but they didn't call it an ATM. They called it a college football playoff. Part two came when they gaslit everyone into thinking it was needed. And they would point things out like 2004. That's an imperfect season. We had an undefeated team be left out. How could we ever continue this sport? Lack of a playoffs, an existential threat. And they talked about the betterment of the game, the best interest of college football. They talked about the best interest of a sport they couldn't care less about. They cared about leveraging it. They didn't care about the sport itself. And then when the playoff comes around, the next order of business was they used mass marketing to redefine what meaning actually was. Once upon a time, meaning was I'm waking up on Saturday and my team's playing your team and it's college football. It's great. But all of a sudden that wasn't good enough anymore. What worked for a million years wasn't good enough. All of a sudden it's about who's in. Remember that marketing campaign? It got thrown in your face. It got sprayed in your face like a fire hose. Every single waking hour of every day that you watched programming, it was about who's in, who's in the playoff. That's what meaning is, after all. If you're playing a game in early November and you're out of the playoff race, that's a meaningless game. Only in about the past decade have we started to popularize phrases like meaningless game. 
in college football. You ever wonder why that's only popped up in the last decade? You ever wonder why bowl opt-outs only really popped up in the last decade? It's not because the NFL all of a sudden started paying millions of dollars, therefore guys didn't want to risk their draft status. NFL was paying big money in 2005 just as much as they were in 2015. The difference is the adults in the room told the kids on the field, it's not a playoff game, it's meaningless. And, and how dare those kids? They listened to the adults. They get accused of not doing it all the time. They listened to the adults. And, and so then all of a sudden, you realize you got a problem. And the same group that had the flamethrower in their hand and set the forest on fire, put the flamethrower down, and then they went and bought a fire truck and drove it right up and had the audacity to tell you we're here to put out the fire. We need to expand the playoff more because that's how games will get meaning. Now, games had meaning forever before that crowd came along. But then all of a sudden, the games don't have meaning anymore. Why are these games not meaningful in November? Well, I know. We'll create more of what caused the problem. And lo and behold, people went along with it again. And folks like me who pushed back on it were called Neanderthals, knuckle draggers. Like, how can you resist change? How could you say no to more football, Josh? I love football. Love it. I love money. I don't love it. I love the idea of having a lot of it. But at the same time, I know what happens to the money I do have if you start printing it endlessly. It's actually happening right now. And it devalues that currency. Read up on it, kids. It's actually a pretty big problem. Therefore, Loving something does not automatically mean you want as much of it as you can possibly have because of basic rules of scarcity. Well, these people don't teach that in their courses. But all of a sudden, now we sit here and the same crowd that brought you from 2 to 4 and now from 4 to 12, and maybe we never have 12 because we may go to 14 or 16, they're telling you, don't worry, this will address the problem. The games will have meaning now. The games had meaning. The games had meaning, it's just that a bunch of dudes in suits came along and they convinced you that access to a playoff was like college football's version of oxygen. And if you don't have access to that, if you're not in the chase for the playoff, your games have no meaning. That playoff was built by men. That playoff was created very recently. The things that make college football great have been around decades and decades and decades. And you could call it man-made, but really it was created by culture. It was created by years and years and years of doing something and enjoying something and sharing something communally. And then it, it saddens me that you let a group of clowns come in wearing suits, so you know they must be legit, and they, we just allowed them to redefine it. That's kind of the sad part. So if you want to know why I push back on expansion, if you want to know why I hardlined my stance at the outset, if you want to know why I didn't want to compromise and just give a little, it's because there was never giving a little. In this equation, there was either winning or you let go of the rope completely. So I'm very respectful about the pushback and the counter arguments that I get on some of this because there's a lot of whataboutism. And the whatabout that I get a lot is, wow, so you're saying you don't want an expanded playoff. You're, you're absolutely right. That's what I'm saying. Okay, so are you saying that you're okay with like a 2004 Auburn being left out? And I'm saying, yeah, I am. I don't like that it happened. I'm not claiming there's a perfect system out there. The BCS system wasn't perfect. The four-team system is not perfect. What I'm looking for is I am looking for the system that most maximizes relevance on the regular season 
and least attaches the need for postseason inclusion as a basis for that meaning in the regular season. And so there's going to be instances, 2004, Auburn gets screwed out of a spot to play for a championship. Sucks. It was still the best system. Uh, in my mind, 2000, what was it, Jesse? Like 14, you had the whole TCU-Baylor thing, and neither of them make the playoff. It's tough. It's tough. And if I'm a Baylor fan and I'm a TCU fan, I'm not interested in listening to this right now. If I'm an 04 Auburn, I'm not interested in listening to this. Florida State last year, I'm not interested in listening to this. It's almost better, if you're talking about the greater good of the sport, that you're not aligned with a team. Like, I'm not a fan of a team, so I can sit here and look at the sport holistically. Frankly, it's one of the things that I think bad actors in the room have been able to successfully use against people is emotion because they know you're attached. You're a fanatic of a team. That's great. You should be. But they also know that it's as easy as telling you, Penn State fan, it's as easy as telling you, forget what they're saying about meaning in the regular season. Under this model, your team, Penn State, you'll have a percentage-wise much better shot at a playoff spot. Now, what do you say about that? Well, a lot of people who don't know how to think deeper than the top layer of soil say, I'm in. Where do I sign up? A playoff spot. That would be great. Never considering what the collateral damage is to the sport, not the team, Penn State, but the sport overall. Like I said, college football is one of one. I don't care how they do it in the NFL. This is not the NFL. They have trades in the NFL. Do you want Oklahoma State trading their linebacker to Clemson two weeks before the season starts? Do you ever think this through when you say, well, the NFL does it. Why doesn't college football do it? They're not the same thing. The shape of the ball, the dimensions of the field are about the only things that are the same between those two. Well, March Madness works fine. It sure does. What was your favorite college basketball game you watched in the last week? Uh, for 95% of you, the answer is incomplete. You're not watching now because you know right now is irrelevant because you don't have to watch until March or April. So I'm not interested in duplicating a formula that has rendered its own regular season irrelevant for the sake of a postseason. We've got that. If you want that, you've got it. It's called college basketball. And I'm totally fine with it. I'm enamored with March Madness and the NCAA tournament. But I don't want college football turning into that. So in, in closing, let me say this, because I will be accused of certain things after having done this segment. This is not the end of the world. It's not cataclysmic. It's not like uh, DEFCON 10 or anything like that. College football will go on. College football will be fine. But every change that's made to this sport is either for the betterment or for the detriment or in the middle. And I think this is far left of middle, and it is detrimental to the overall health of the sport. Not fatal, you know, not terminal, but it's not good for the sport, and I, I don't like it at all. And I think that um, maybe in some ways there's a little bit of too little too late that comes in here. I do at least take, I actually I don't take any solace at all in people seeing that some of us were right about this because it doesn't matter. Uh, it's not like all of a sudden they hit the rewind button once a certain amount of people say, oh, I guess you were right after all. Mm, no. In fact, I think we let off a lot of segments we did about this by saying, I think I'm going to be right about this, but I hope I'm wrong, because if I am right, there will be no pleasure in being right, because at that point, something bad's happened. Well, looks like something bad may be in the process of happening. Uh, not bad across the board. Some of you, smaller and smaller in number by the day, but some of you will still even like this, uh, because, hey, man, 
meaning, that playoff. That is, that is what we get meaning from this day and age. All right, let's move on. We got a uh, jam-packed show tonight. I mean, we got a ton to get to. <sighs> I, yeah, let's go ahead and do it. All right, so I need to talk to you about something. We do this three times a year, maybe, maybe four times a year. Not take a sip from the chalice. I do this multiple times per show. No, I need to talk to you about a team. But it's a very, very interesting thing. If you notice the way we stack the show a lot of times, we take the, the team-specific content, and it may be later in the show, because we want the content that reaches the broadest audience to lead the show, the inverted pyramid approach. So this is the exception to the rule, because I need to talk to you about one team, but the thing about it is it's still broadly applicable because literally everyone weighs in on this team, and I need to talk to you. And I'm, I'm going to do my best not to sound condescending here, but I'm going to sound pretty condescending, so whatever. Colin, let's do it. Uh, here's your end point. Notre Dame's been talked about a lot this week, in case you haven't noticed. And it is my opinion, long has been, that Notre Dame football is the most misunderstood brand in college football. This week's no different. So you've had several big names across the sports media sphere calling them irrelevant and asking, what have they done? You know, you love that. What have they done? Calling them overrated. That's the age-old go-to with Notre Dame. Well, they're overrated. And like, what are they rated? Does anyone know what they're rated? No, no, they're just overrated. Cool. Okay, so let's just attack these one by one. I'm not going to spend an hour on this, I promise you. Irrelevant. The claim that Notre Dame is irrelevant. I mean, people with even a basic understanding of search engine optimization principles or the data that we ingest from this show or web traffic or just engagement, period, understands Notre Dame could go 0-12 this year. They would be a monster. They are as relevant as relevant gets in the college football space. Case in point, some of the people calling them irrelevant are talking about them in February when it pertains to college football. That's the definition of relevance. So that one's the easiest one to shoot down. Part two, what have they won? Well, they've been a double-digit game winner six of the past seven years. That's what they've won. They've won football games. But, but Josh, they haven't won championships. No, they haven't. I haven't said they did. Well, Josh, they haven't won playoff games. They sure haven't. I'll get to that in a second. You ask me, what have they won? I'm telling you, they've won a ton of football games. They've won more than almost anyone who plays this sport. Well, Josh, that's easy because they don't play anybody. It's one of the biggest myths in college sports. Notre Dame plays a weak schedule. Notre Dame, I don't know how many times consecutively these folks have to play somewhere between a top 20 and a or top 10 even strength of schedule for folks to understand that's a myth. That's a myth. You don't have to have Florida's 2024 schedule to have a valid strength of schedule. Like there, there are degrees of this stuff. You're not great or trash. Your schedule's not elite or cupcake city. There are degrees here. I know it's not popular to speak like that, but Notre Dame plays a very solid schedule every year. A lot closer to the top of the heap than the bottom of the heap. But Josh, they get beat when they face elite teams. You're right. Most of the time, recently, they have. So what are we talking about there? Because that just bleeds right back into that whole they're overrated thing. How do you know they're overrated? Well, because they get beat when they face elite teams. But what are they rated? So what are they? They're not as good as Alabama recently? No one said they are. They've been beaten by Clemson. 
few times. No one said they're better than Clemson, though, especially those vintage mid-20-teens Clemson teams that beat by Ohio State last year, pushed them to the wire, but got beat. Who out there is touting Notre Dame's program as being better than Ohio State? I've seen nobody. I don't see Notre Dame fans do that. So we just listed, what, three teams? Georgia. No one would list Notre Dame above Georgia. My point is, I just ran down four names. You notice how you start running out of programs you feel are definitively better than Notre Dame after you get through that first wave? That's the whole point. Notre Dame's not overrated. Notre Dame would only be overrated if they were rated above those teams and those programs. They're not. So how about this? I'm just going to humbly offer this take. Notre Dame's a pretty good program. Better than most. Not elite. There's a lot of very good about Notre Dame's program and team. There's very little elite at the moment about Notre Dame's program and team. They are rock solid. They got good culture. It's a very strong brand. They've been a top 12 recruiter on average the last five cycles. I would say while their relevance may be slightly down a notch from the prior generation, it's still one of the most relevant brands in our sport. That, to me, is the Notre Dame take. I don't even think they're hard to figure out. They do not stack up, roster-wise, man-for-man, with the elites in college football. But whenever you start placing chairs at the second table, they're one of the first ones there. And that's where they are right now. And I don't get how in the world this is so difficult. So I think um, probably the number one bit of feedback that I expect to get on this is, well, Josh, the media overhype them every year. Well, then hate on the media, not them. Marcus Freeman doesn't issue his own ratings. If he wants to, we can talk. But I don't see Notre Dame rating themselves. Notre Dame up there, no, Notre Dame didn't go to NBC and hold them hostage to get that contract. You want to hate on them? Hate on NBC for handing them the money. Hate on the media for overhyping them. Best I can tell, no one's really hyping Notre Dame and ranking Notre Dame above the elites. I don't ever see them put in the elite category. They don't belong in the elite category. Perhaps their ceiling is that they could one day again become elite, and there are far fewer rungs above Notre Dame on the college football ladder than there are below them. But um, there, there is no understanding of degrees in conversation. And maybe it's just the internetization of everything, college football included. Like if you say Notre Dame's pretty good, that gets lost. You either got to say Notre Dame, goat status, or Notre Dame, trash, landfill vibes. It's not the way it is. For like 95%, by default, 95% falls in between the extremes because the extremes are the 2.5% either side. And yet, folks disproportionately traffic in the extremes. The wildest thing. They're watching us in Chattanooga, Tennessee, Montgomery, Texas, and Alabama, and Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Thank you guys so much. We have a metric ton of content still to get to. Let me, uh, let me move my phone off this Kenny Dillingham quote over here we got to get to later. I was walking through the office earlier today. Bradley, the associate, was building a graphic. It's a Kenny Dillingham quote where he's roasting other coaches, by the way, for complaining about their workload. And Bradley, inexplicably, had the Dillingham quote done, but for the picture of Kenny Dillingham, supposedly next to the quote, he had a picture of Mickey Mantle. So apparently in our system, Mickey Mantle is a placeholder image until we place the image. Literal Mickey Mantle. Played for the Yankees 700 years ago. Mickey Mantle. Um, I don't ever know if we got it changed, but if we didn't, 
Kenny Dillingham has been made aware that he doubles as a Mickey Mantle in the office right now. So we'll get to that later because I think a lot of you are going to have a lot of fun with that segment because I've had fun with it and a lot of you have had fun bashing me about it. Um, that's okay. That's what God made February for. But in the meantime... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Colin, here's an endpoint for you. I need to tell you something about Alabama. I need to tell you why I love this time of year. I love this time of year because, uh, so Nick Saban retires at Alabama and then Kalen DeBoer gets the job and everyone has an immediate opinion on it. I have friends, I went and counted one the other day specifically, who have had four different unique takes on Kalen DeBoer at Alabama, like whether he will succeed or not. Four! Dude's changed his mind four times. And it is right now, February 22nd, and his first spring practice is still several weeks away. That's why I love this time of year. I encourage it. Get as many takes out there as possible so that you can go back and cherry pick whichever ones you got right, because inevitably, if you throw every take out there, you got to get one right. It's not the worst strategy in the world. And so... I wanted to remind you guys of something because there has been so much happening in this sport that a bombshell goes off. Saban retires, and then Kalen DeBoer, fresh off a national championship appearance, gets the head job at Alabama, and it's almost like that feels like old news already. And it was like a month ago. It's just that so much has happened. Well, let me tell you, because um, I was really kind of marrying this with several of you over the course of any given week, ask what I'm thinking about this. Just a reminder, before we open spring ball there, whether it's great or a disaster, I think he upgraded his coaching staff overall. I'm not talking about head coach for head coach. I'm saying staff overall. I think he upgraded that coaching staff. One of the great unspokens behind the scenes was uh, down the stretch, as it turns out, down the stretch of Nick Saban's career. Last few years, he had had not a hard time, but he had had a harder time than he had years prior filling his staff with the names he wanted to fill them with. And that was just because you cannot ignore age and you cannot ignore that guys want to sign on to a program where they know there'll be longevity. It's the same reason why if you're on the hot seat, it's really hard to go higher because guys look and say, what am I going to move there for nine months? And then I'm out the door with you. Well, it's the same way if you're going to Coach for a guy, I mean, Saban was conducting coaching interviews five minutes before he retired. So a lot of that was valid. So anyway, I think DeBoer upgraded his staff. Does he have SEC chops? Does the staff have SEC chops? Now that right there is a good question. Um, 
by SEC chops, do you mean are they familiar with the territory? A lot of them aren't. A lot of them have never lived in or coached in the South. The only one way to baptize yourself into that. Uh, but the other part is a lot of you have noticed like he's taking guys from Washington. He's taking guys from Baylor. And there's not a lot of that incestuous hiring in the best of ways that you normally see in the South. A lot of times when a guy gets a job in the SEC, he just goes and takes some dudes from Florida and LSU and, and now Texas and Oklahoma. And sometimes it works out. Other times it just means that you got a stale conference. And it's ripe for a guy from outside the block to move in. Most notably, guys like Urban Meyer did this in the past. Saban even did it. Um, Saban didn't get the staffers he wanted at first either, but, but it's been done before. Um, but at the same time, it's an adjustment period. It's an adjustment period for everyone. I think short term, uh, it was probably like drinking water from a fire hose for them. I don't, I don't look two things. Okay. So first I think they'll be fine on that front. But secondly, there is a large contingent of people, I think, that are waiting for them to lose their first game this year, whether it's Georgia or whether it's earlier than that. Maybe they go lose at Wisconsin earlier in the season. And that will be like a referendum on Kalen DeBoer. And it'll be really, really whacked out, and there won't be much logic behind it. But I am personally deciding to think well beyond just 2024 with this hire. And it's not that he has to rebuild the program or anything. It's a turnkey winner if you got the right structure in place, but to pretend like, well, the best of all time stepped away, you ought to just step right in here and I'll not even be able to tell a difference from 50,000 feet. It's crazy, crazy. So I think they'll be okay long-term, but I was okay riding a bike long-term. The first time that Meemaw took her hand off my lower back and pushed me down the hill, it was wobbly. I didn't fall, I don't think, but it was wobbly. So if it's wobbly out of the gate, it's wobbly out of the gate. Long term, I'm telling you, I have very little doubt. They'll be fine. Um, I think that they absorbed the unavoidable really well, too. So the unavoidable is you lose Nick Saban, you know good and well a lot of those players were there to play for him. The Caleb Downs of the world, for example. So there was a lot about losing guys to the portal that was going to be unavoidable, and it didn't matter who took the job. Uh, it was going to be unavoidable. They controlled what they could control, um, I frankly, I don't even think it was the mass exodus of game changers that it was made out to be. I mean, you lose Caleb Downs. Now, that may be the best football player on your team. So there's no sugarcoating that. But some of the other big-time names they kept there, and um, I also think that post-spring portal window will be fascinating with Alabama. They also brought Austin Mack in at quarterback, who um, I know uh, I've seen a lot of folks who cover Alabama just assuming Austin Mack is a 2025 and beyond name and it's certain to be Milrow's team this year. And you guys may be right. I just want to watch spring ball before I you know, write that in pen myself. Nick, Nick Saban came into the SEC and redefined what it meant to win in the SEC, and that's a generation ago. So now you're going to hear a lot of folks, spring ball, media days, getting into this upcoming season where Bama won't be favored to win the SEC and may not even be the second favorite to win the SEC for the first time in a while. And they're going to say, Kalen DeBoer does not know the SEC, which is right. I don't want you to forget that the SEC doesn't know Kalen DeBoer either. And while it is really fun growing up where I grew up to pound your chest and talk about how a newcomer is about to get a dose of reality, and it does happen a fair amount. And quite notably, it's happened recently, even in the state of Alabama. Sometimes it's the inverse. 
Sometimes a new guy comes in and you find out, well, he kind of knows what he's doing. That stuff he was doing at Washington, turns out it does work here. Turns out there's not a total different way to skin the cat, or it turns out there's several different ways to do it. And also, the million-dollar question around DeBoer and his staff right now is, are they going to be able to acquire talent? And um, I, I'm a believer, and I'll give you this equation, we'll move on. I'm a believer that it takes two things to recruit in the South. It takes a relentless pursuit. I mean, you got to be able to work 25 hours a day. You know, you can't talk about, man, I worked 45 hours this week. I'm drained. Those folks burn out pretty quick. But if you want to recruit the SEC successfully, you got to be relentless. And I think he absolutely is. And number two, you got to know people. You've got to know people. The emphasis is on people, not know. Know people. You got to have ends here and ends there. You'll develop those relationships if you're good with folks and you're relentless. How do you think the ones who have the relationships, how do you think the ones who do know the people found ways to know the people? So that's, again, that's a process. I think they'll be okay there. But my question as we move on to you is what is success for them? In other words, what is the thing Alabama could accomplish in 2024 where you look and you say, hey, I guess DeBoer was the right guy for the job. Is it an amount of wins? Is it a number of wins? Is it a level of play on the field? Do you care more about the recruiting class coming up? Just out of curiosity. No right or wrong answers, just out of curiosity. Uh, let's move on. I have, whew, I got some mystery teams to talk about later. This coaching debate is fun. I'm going to get to that in just a second. And yes, yes, children, if you are tuned in, there will be a point towards the end of this show where I have a thought or two on the news about the college football video game today. Yes, yes, I will do that. It's going to be at the end of the show, but I will do that. So college football's 2024 schedule, it's out. Uh, the non-conference slate, I had some of you ask me about it, Bud in particular, not Elliot, Bud Royster said, what's the best out-of-conference football game this season? Well, I cannot narrow it down to one. So I've got a list here. You guys can share the ones because I couldn't fit them all on here. You guys can share the ones you're excited about. Do you know in week one, I've got three games on this list from week one. You know Miami plays Florida at Florida in week one. You want to talk about pressure on a football game. Again, one of the many reasons I love college football is because you could have a game in week one where both coaches are being doubted. I mean, one coach is just straight up on the hot seat. They're over under win total at Florida's five and a half. They know they've got a murderer's row of a schedule this year. And then conversely, you got Mario down at Miami and the entire country's screaming, yeah, he can recruit, but can he coach? Can he win on Saturday? Someone's got to lose this game. Okay, can you imagine leaving this thing 0-1? How toxic it will already be by the second week in September and conversely, you know, the winner's got a leg up, at least theoretically, has got a leg up perception-wise. It's not a conference game. But I, I just think about that. I think about the team that starts 0-1 there. That's the kind of consequence that exists in this sport even early in the season. Texas is at Michigan the very next week. Week two, SEC versus Big Ten. Texas has got the third best odds to win the title this year. Michigan's got the seventh best odds. Texas is a, an early two-and-a-half-point favorite in this game at Michigan, according to our buddies at FanDuel. What a moment for Sharon Moore. Like, yeah, it's a big moment when you find out your head coach is suspended and you're the interim head coach 
and you got to face Penn State on the road, but it was almost like it happened so fast you don't have time to be worried or nervous. Well, now you're the head coach permanently. Now you got months and months and months to build up, and it's your team. It's your program. You're not just holding the wheel for someone else. And Texas comes to town in week two. And then all of a sudden, you got Texas in the same position they were last year. Last year, they go to Alabama. They win in week two, and they're off to the races. Well, they could go to Michigan, win, and sort of feel the same way, be off to the races this upcoming year. Oh, what a helmet game, by the way. The Longhorn and the Maze and Blue. What a helmet game. That's one where you don't need to know any of the names of any of the players. Just put the game on mute for all I care and just watch the pretty images go back and forth. How about Georgia at Clemson? It's not at Clemson. Georgia versus Clemson is in Atlanta in week one. Georgia's, uh, actually, before I give you the point spread, for those of you who haven't checked FanDuel, Anyone have a guess? Well, now that you see it on the screen, you know. Georgia is minus 12 and a half against Clemson. Garrett Riley, the OC at Clemson. Cade Klubnick, quarterback there at Clemson. They're year two together now. I have spoken about Clemson at length. Georgia's a mainstay. They're in this position every year. It's a virtual home game in their backyard, although Clemson's not much further up the road. But uh, here's, a, here's a question. There are two teams right now where if I talk about them not being in Tier 1, their fans very vehemently disagree. Uh, One is Clemson. The other is USC. So I'm not talking about USC right now. With Clemson, if I'm wrong about that, and Clemson is a Tier 1 program still, and they're a Tier 1 team, and I do not believe they are right now, um, I'll know. We'll know. Because whether they win or lose, this won't be lopsided. Now, if I'm right, there is the opportunity for Georgia to pull away and win by 20, 25 points. Uh, but if I'm wrong, and, or, or if I have been right, but Clemson is changing the narrative and, and they've, they've shored up a lot of their inefficiencies, well, then all of a sudden, this is a dogfight of a game and everyone's watching it saying, wow, Clemson's tied with Georgia with five minutes to go. Remember, they lost to Duke last year. They ugly lost to Duke. Good for Dabo. So that's why we play the games, obviously. But this is a very, very big, big, important game for the program. Like, this is not important for Georgia's program. It is very important for Clemson's program. Uh, Next up, same week, USC plays LSU in Las Vegas, the building they just played the Super Bowl in, the building the last Pac-12 championship game was played in. Yeah, that's where LSU is a six-point favorite at FanDuel right now against USC. Just show me the defenses. Just show me the, I'm not going to say that. That's a, that's a surefire immunity. Show me the defenses. D'Anton Lim, brand-new defensive coordinator for USC, one of the most important names in college football this year. Blake Baker, new D.C. at LSU, one of the most important names in college football this year. These were pinball offenses at various times last year. LSU's quarterback won the Heisman Trophy. Over-under is 66, I believe, in this game right now. Show me the defenses because the ultimate hopes – on both of these teams rest solely on how much better those D.C. hires and those defensive staffs can make those defenses and those units in year one. Uh, Because either one of them last year, especially LSU, you give them a top 30 defense, they could have won the national championship for all I know. But they didn't have one. And so they got beat by the likes of Alabama and and FSU just running the score up on them. Uh, Lastly, go all the way to week 10. South Bend, Indiana, week 10. 
Florida State comes to town. Notre Dame's off a bye. They welcome in Florida State. And here's what's interesting. From an FSU scheduling perspective, or a Notre Dame scheduling perspective, Notre Dame faces one opponent this year with preseason national title odds better than them, and it's Florida State. So I'm not, I'm not going as far as to tell you Notre Dame will be favored in every game this year. Maybe they will be. Uh, but this is the one team that Vegas thinks more highly of than Notre Dame in the preseason who they face this year. Riley Leonard, who is now the quarterback at Notre Dame, remember he played at Duke last year, and when they played against Florida State, he was banged up really bad, had under 70 yards passing, and he gets another shot at them. But more importantly, like I said, this is not week one, two, or three, and if you look at their schedule at Notre Dame right now, they go to A&M in week one, which also could have been on this list. I don't want to just gloss over that. Notre Dame opens in College Station this year. Mike Elko's first game as head coach there. So you got a bunch of like Northern Illinois, Purdue, Miami, Ohio, Louisville, Stanford, Georgia Tech, Navy. They'll go off the national radar for a little while, and then everyone will be building up to that Florida State game, and that'll be really good because obviously it's all out of conference with Notre Dame. But for Florida State, man, they go up there in November. You've been in Northern Indiana in November. It doesn't feel like Tallahassee. I do know that. So those are some games I'm looking forward to in the out of conference. We move on. <coughs> trying to keep a brisk pace here tonight. Oh, oh, I did want to thank you. So we, we got, a lot of, um, got a lot of thank yous the other day or got a lot of congratulations or pats on the back, whatever we got, about the Late Kick Extra podcast. So that drops in your feed every Tuesday or Wednesday, depending on how quickly Bradley edits it. And he was quick this week. But sometimes I'll have Colin recorded even though it's a podcast only I'll have Colin record video and we'll upload like some clips on the YouTube channel well we work in the we work on like the 14th floor of this massive building downtown in Nashville and there are a lot of studios around here that just go unused so Jesse and Colin and I have had our eye on this radio studio that CMT radio used for a long time thing looks really really awesome it just sits there so we said you know what we, we ought to just we were just laughing. We, we ought to just record the extra podcast in there. And then all of a sudden, one of us got a straight face and said, why don't we record the extra pod in there? So we did. And we took some of the trinkets, you know, the Floyd of Rosedale, for example, the, the late kick helmets and some of the chalai. And we put them behind the set. And we went in there and recorded it the other day. Audio was great, first off. Secondly, had a really homely vibe to it, didn't it, Colin? And so... Uh, we got we got asked, hey, do you guys have a new set? No, it's like we're still doing the show here. It's just we wanted to try that out and probably we'll do it again at some point. So we got the compliments and we appreciate that. Okay. Um, I don't know how else to put this. Coaches make a lot of money and their jobs are hard. With that in mind, Colin, could you show me the Adam Schefter tweet from yesterday? Because this had a lot of people up in arms. So Adam Schefter, he covers the NFL for ESPN. He said, a trend that has emerged this winter is many college coaches are tired of the transfer portal, the NIL money, and the new NCAA world, and prefer to work in the NFL. Many college coaches already have left. Many more want to. Now, if you know college football that doesn't come as a huge shock to you. And I've articulated that to you many times that a lot of coaches have shared that with me as well. And I've shared it on the show. So this conversation has totally gone off the rails because the nature of this world 
is now a lot of people talk college football year-round. That's a good thing. We didn't used to have a lot of that. That's a good thing. The downside to that is if there are not games happening, there tends to be this massive echo chamber where at any given point, there are two or three relevant topics and everyone's talking about the same topic. So we were talking about this for a while on this show, and I'll reiterate my thoughts in a second. But when I've spoken out about this, I've said, hey, the schedule sucks right now. And, and coaches are being stretched really thin, and they don't get hardly any time to actually focus on ball and to coach and sharpen and hone their craft, and burnout is real. Those are the things I've said. I don't think it's great for the sport. That's what I've said. Okay, period. Then there is this other contrarian group of people who it doesn't matter what they hear said. If they hear a chorus sung in unison, they are going to sing another tune just for the sake of singing another tune, which is not the worst thing in the world because at least it diversifies the, um, the library of thoughts out there. Well, what they've done, the contrarian class over here, is they've listened to people say things like I was saying there, which is schedule's not good right now. Uh, I think coaching burnout is real. I do think that guys at our level are trying to get out to a higher percentage degree than they have in the past. I don't think there's enough time to be focused on ball right now because of all the other mess that's around the world of coaching, and that's what I've said. Um, then the contrarian class says, look at everyone freaking out about this. I'm not freaking out about it. It's not worth freaking out about. Oh, look at everyone presenting this as a crisis. It's not a crisis. Never use the word ever to discuss this. It's not a crisis. Okay, on a scale of one to 10, problems facing this sport, it's probably about a four, if I'm being real with you. Probably about a four. Oh, look at him fear-mongering. I'm not, a guy driving to work in Des Moines, Iowa, this does not impact his life. Maybe he's interested in it. Maybe he's not. But he's just a college football fan. And I just happen to be talking about it because our traffic shows enough of you care about this that I'll touch on it every now and then. There's no freak out. There's no freak out. There's no crisis. It's just something that I think matters because I would prefer not to see good people leave this game uh, because they don't recognize the game anymore. That's it. So there's been a loud enough chorus of people complaining and some coaches complaining that some other coaches have started to chime in on the other side. So it's no different than in our world. In our world, you got folks like me who say one thing, then you got other folks who come out and mock it and they say the other thing, oftentimes badly miscontextualizing what you said to begin with. Kenny Dillingham at Arizona State friend of the program, new head coach out there at Arizona State. Well, he's been there a year. Um, he was talking yesterday and said, quote, I think you have to hire people that love coaching. I joke around, but do you know how many people want my job? Like, do you know how many people want my assistant jobs and my analyst jobs and the quarterback and GA jobs? So don't complain about what we do. You're blessed. There's a lot of negative to it, yes. But do you know how many people want to be a college football coach? I literally spent nine years of my life doing anything to become a coffee boy. So don't give me the, oh, it's hard to be a coach right now. Yeah, it's hard. Quit then. Like, that's how I look at it. I got no problem with that. The reason I mentioned the Kenny Dillingham quote is because I looked in my uh, inbox and a lot of you sent me that quote and said, wow, he disagrees with you. Kenny Dillingham's not a disagreeing with me uh, because he didn't refute anything I've said. You are extremely privileged and blessed to be a college football coach. You're making a ton of money, and people who work extremely hard jobs in their own right, making fractions of what you make, tune in to watch you 
on Saturdays. You live a dream life uh, by some of their metrics. So yes, you're blessed. You get to coach a game for a living. Absolutely you do. And if it does get too hard, quit is the best advice that you can give someone. I got no, I got no problem with that attitude. And I think it's a reactionary attitude instead of one that Dillingham just wants to go around popping off at the mouth about. But I will say this, as much as Kenny Dillingham made some good points there, I'll stand by everything I've said in that you can have that opinion, but also be talking about something that is a problem. May not be a massive problem, but it is a problem. Circumstances are either good, bad, or indifferent. Okay, There are three options here. It's either a 10 on the negative, all the way to a zero, to a 10 on the positive, and somewhere on that scale is every circumstance. And right now, I would say that the circumstance of the December schedule and calendar, which they're trying to address even today as we speak, and coaching burnout, I think it's an issue to a varying degree that's plaguing college football right now, and there is no reason for it to be. So a problem is a problem, and even if one person's pointing it out, or 10,000 people are pointing it out. It doesn't change the fact that it's a problem if it is. Now, if it's your opinion it's not a problem, or if it's your opinion that, hey, all of them can quit for all you care, you do real work, and there'll be football coaches until the end of time. I've never disagreed with that either. I'll say this, though. You'd never have a problem filling coaching jobs. My question has always been, are you filling those jobs with qualified candidates? Like, you, you, can, you can wipe out any highly competitive industry of the top names, and sure, you'll backfill them no problem. You could do it just like that. Is it quality across the board like you have? I mean, if I were to wipe out every Major League Baseball player right now, call it a strike, for example, you can get replacement players. They tried it before. It sucked. You know why? The replacement players weren't as good as the real deal. That's why they have things called triple, double, and single A in Major League Baseball. So I've never doubted that. I I just, is it the most sage approach to look at a problem and instead of trying to address the problem, just say, oh, screw it. If they don't like it, they can leave and we'll get folks to take their place. Is that really the most logical approach? Now, I don't think that's what Kenny Dillingham's saying. What Kenny Dillingham's saying is, I have worked my tail off and now I get to this point and I'm not the one complaining And a bunch of y'all fools who are already financially set 10 times over are the ones complaining. And you're not even doing it yourselves. You're getting mouthpieces in the media to do it. And I'm doing the same thing. I'm only echoing what a lot of these guys have told me. So in in a sense, I'm a mouthpiece right now for coaches when I talk about this. Because I'm sure not coaching the team. I'm just the chancellor at Pace State. I don't coach the team day to day. Um, So I think that rubs a lot of coaches the wrong way. And if it does, it does. It's not the worst thing in the world for guys to disagree on things in this sport. It's not the worst thing in the world. Let's move on. A lot, this is a diverse rundown tonight. we got a lot of different angles we're going at. And I also want to take time to thank you for watching the show if you're watching it. Just subscribe to the channel. That's all we ask. You want to talk about some mystery teams. I threw four at you the other night, and I decided that's not nearly enough because we didn't talk about Miami, for example. Miami's a huge mystery team in 2024. 2024 has been the circle year for them down there. We were down there last spring, and behind the scenes, I didn't necessarily articulate this at the time, but I will now. Behind the scenes, the coaches all told me the same thing. They said, 2023, we will be better this year, and they were. Uh, but he's, all of them said, 2024 is the year where we really feel like it'll be our team. 
we feel good about 2024 and moving forward. Well, okay, um, the reason I never have problem with that kind of talk, as long as it's in the future tense, is because that day will come eventually. So that time is now for Miami. The win total's at nine and a half. Odds makers believe in them. Talent acquisition has been there. There are good enough football players on that team to compete in the ACC this year. Uh, they got Cam Ward from the transfer portal, the Washington State quarterback. You have the questions around Mario Cristobal, not about talent acquisition, but about winning ultimately on the field, and I don't have a problem with him only because he's got a chance to answer them on the field. This fall, it's not a hypothetical, in other words. Miami's a mystery team because of that. They went from 5-7 and seven to 7-6. Seven and six. Odds makers expect another jump this year. The mystery is, will you get it? Next up, Tennessee. I believe in Josh Heupel. Uh, we, we are believers here in Josh Heupel. And he's got Nico Iamaliave at quarterback this year. So I think the plan all along was knowing you had Nico coming in, Joe Milton will be a bridge quarterback to Nico Iamaliava. Well, that's where we are right now in February as spring ball is about to open. The total, the win total for Tennessee has been bet up to nine and a half. That's not where it opened. It's been bet up to nine and a half. They're losing a lot of production. That's the quote-unquote bad news. They're 94th in returning production this year. I really believe in Josh Heupel. I believe what he can in what he can do with elite quarterback uh, skill set, and I think he's got that there. And while Nico Iamaliava may be a first-year starter this upcoming year, he's not a first-year guy. He's been in the program a whole year. I got zero doubt whatsoever that that coaching staff will maximize his potential, and I think they're going to be a contender this year. That's what I think. The mystery is, is the overall top-to-bottom talent roster, is it ready for the grind that will be the SEC regular season? Uh, I think yes. They go back-to-back at Oklahoma, at Arkansas, and then Florida and Alabama uh, early in the year, and there is a bye week mixed in there, but you'll know pretty quick with Tennessee. Uh, Virginia Tech, yes, 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 yes. Virginia Tech feels like they're in ascension mode. Normally, I don't talk about ascension mode until post-spring, but ascension mode is just that. It's like when you take off from the airport and you're climbing, maybe some turbulence, maybe smooth, but you're climbing. Programs do that too. And it feels like Virginia Tech's doing that. They got an over-under win total of seven and a half this year. I said that fast. They've got an over-under win total of seven and a half games this year. They are number one in the country in returning production. Now, the old catch-22 in college football has always been, do you really want to have a lot of players coming back if they're coming back from a bad team? Well, in Virginia Tech's case, yes, because they weren't a bad team last year, and they got better as the year went on. Love the energy around the program. Okay, so they're, they're a mystery because you still have games against rosters that are better than you. And um, so you can question whether recruiting continues to uptick because they, they still have to get better there. And you can also question, could they, could they end up being like Texas Tech? So you know how everyone was high on Texas Tech last year, and they stumbled a couple of times out of the gate, and then they're off everyone's radar. Well, Virginia Tech could be that this year. Like, they open at Vanderbilt. Most people will pencil that in as a win for Virginia Tech, but it's not a given. It's not a given they beat Marshall in week two or, or beat Rutgers in week four. Rutgers, very underrated team this year. And then they go to Miami. So my point is, what if they have two losses by the end of September? That, that, that's why they're a mystery team. Because they could also win every one of those games and the Stanford game and the Boston College game. And you start to look, it's not a murderer's row, is it? In fact, they get all the way. Jesse, 
work with me here. So one, two, three, four. Miami would be ranked, I think. Uh, Clemson in week what, nine or ten. It's a very workable schedule. That's what I'm saying. Now, I wish you could see on podcast what I'm seeing right now. They have not had a double-digit win season since 2016. Hadn't had a bowl win up until last year since 2016. So they can go 10-2 and two this year. They go 6-6. Six and six. Classic mystery team. Also, Nebraska, because we now get to... We now get to press the Matt Rule year two button. Been very profitable in the past. Uh, defensive S&P Plus, they are sixth in the country. Offensively, 115th. Translation, save us, Dylan. Dylan Riola, decommitted from Georgia, went to Nebraska, five-star quarterback. Uh, will probably, I guess, start for them this year. Defense will be good, like, like Tony White and company. Defense will be good. Have no doubt about that. How good will their offense be? It's like the LSU, but the opposite. LSU last year, I just I wish you could be a top 40 unit defensively. Well, can Nebraska offensively climb out of the 100s into respectability? Because that quite literally will be the difference in all those one-possession games, one-possession you, that's what you can call Nebraska, for several years now. It's just a chronic issue with them. Winning or not winning, one-possession games. So they're the same as Vatek. Got a whole lineup of games early in the year. UTEP, Colorado, Northern Iowa, Illinois, Purdue, Rutgers, Indiana, uh, up through the Ohio State game. You look at every one of those and say, boy, if we play our A game, we can win. And yeah, that's right. That's right. If you play your C-plus game, you can lose many of them as well. That's a mystery team. Mystery abounds. College football. What a great sport. Oh, no, I did it. I made the BHLs. If you know, you know. If you don't, don't worry about it, especially those of you on podcast. I just got a bad habit when I put on the lip balm, and I've got to, I, I, I got to wipe myself clean of it. I, you just saw a lot of odds there, and I've given you a lot of odds, and our buddies at FanDuel are the reason that we have those odds. They are the exclusive odds provider of late kick. Now, I know I made a swipe at college basketball earlier in the show, but I also know a lot of you are glued on Saturdays to college basketball. And I just want to let you know, man, you you look at the St. Bonaventure game and you need a little extra something on it, throw five bucks on it, especially at FanDuel, because if you bet five, you get 150 in bonus bets anyway. So, I mean, there's nothing like watching the Bonnies go up and down the hardwood with five or $10 riding on the outcome. That, that's living life right there. I mean, that is, that is white knuckle, edge of your seat excitement. And I speak with such knowledge, because once upon a time, I lived and died with SoCon basketball second halves. I am not making this up. Jesse knows this story, I think. I used to go hard on the SoCon second half totals, like UNC Wilmington, Elon. I mean, I was sick. I was a really, really sick person, but I thought I had an angle, and I did. My, you think... You think the model does good, picking football games. You should have seen what we used to do in the SoCon in basketball. But that's behind me now. I'm just, um, I'm just a casual better like the rest of you. But I will say, FanDuel, when you do it, is the place to go. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required, Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. 
Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. All right, with bated breath, a world awaits my thoughts on the following topic. King Spryo, good friend of the program, hit me up and said, hey, how strong of an impact do you think that new college football video game will have on this season and in the future? Very big, very big. First off, hat tip to EA Sports. They have brilliantly marketed this release. Great job. They had, I think, every major program in unison this morning tweet out promotion and saying, we're in the game. And several players today, I saw Travis Hunter, Quinn Ewers, several players confirming we're in the game. And then simultaneous to that, like Reese Davis, Kirk Herbstreit, a lot of the broadcasters tweeting, we're in the game. That stuff doesn't happen by accident. I know you guys sit out there and you think to yourselves, well, duh, I mean, that's common sense. Yeah, uh, it's, it, it is in precious it's, an, it's, an, it's a precious commodity. Let me just say it that way. It's a precious commodity. When you have synergy and you have alignment in releasing anything, it's, it's a lot harder than it looks. Let me just put it that way, immunity. So I think it's going to have a very big impact. It is hard to believe for people who don't play video games, me included, I don't ever play them. It's hard to believe for people who don't play video games or especially are more seasoned portions of the audience. It may be hard for you to believe this, but it's true. There is a vast swath of the younger generation who comes in the front door of a sport by first playing the video game. Soccer is majorly like this. I've got many of my personal friends who either still don't watch soccer or only started watching soccer because they played the FIFA game. Like, that's not me. I've never done that, but I know a lot of people do that. you got an entire generation that has not had this video game for a decade, and they're about to have it again. So, I mean, I know a lot of your lapsed gamers, and you'll jump back in at age 34, and your kids won't see you for a month, and your life will fall completely off the rails, but it'll be worth it because you won a national championship with Maryland. But there are also 12-year-olds out there who have never played this game in their lives, and all of a sudden, they're about to fire it up and say, wow, this is pretty incredible. What's this game? College football? That's the one where the guys I watch on the NFL draft, that's where they come from, right? Maybe I'll give it a try. And then all of a sudden, boom, Ohio State and Michigan. They're glued to it. Here's what I want to avoid. I went to producer Jesse for guidance on this. Here's what I think we have to avoid. We have to avoid a couple of things. One is inevitable. One's unavoidable. This is going to lead to a massive uptick in questioning play calling. You know it's coming. I know it's coming. People never stopped questioning play calling, but for a little while when we didn't have this game and you didn't have folks thinking they're calling a game multiple times per day, I haven't noticed as much questioning of play calling over the last several years. But I will promise you, friends, once a dude runs halfback direct 15 times and beats Michigan with it, 
in a video game, he will begin to question why Rutgers is not doing it in real life. Like, Shiano's an idiot. Run HB Direct. Like, I saw Will Stein talking about it at Oregon earlier today. I used to run halfback direct. I played the 05 game with Reggie on the cover. I ran a halfback direct offense. Drove my friends up the wall. They tried to outlaw it. It's like playing with Vic on the early editions of Madden. Said, you shouldn't be allowed to run halfback direct because I can't defend it. Sounds like a you problem. Not a me problem. And so there will be mass questioning of play calling from people who think playing a video game is tantamount to calling plays in real life. It's the same folks who think they'd be good in combat because they play Call of Duty. Same crew, same group. Uh, Secondly, here's what I talked to Jesse about. We got to avoid what I call the Fox BCS disaster. And that is where Fox once upon a time got the rights to the BCS for a few years, but they didn't change the NFL themes. They just plugged college football names and graphics into their NFL themes. So they kept the same scoreboard. They kept the same music. And you were watching like Oklahoma versus Florida, and you might as well be watching Chiefs Bucks. And it was stupid. It it didn't feel authentically college football. Well, a lot of folks are worried about that with this college football game. How's the gameplay? Are you using the Madden engine? I'm talking about stuff I know nothing about right now. But don't worry, because Jesse has equipped me with this knowledge. And uh, rumor on the street, rumor on the gaming streets is there's a lot of concern. Is it going to be authentically college football? And an anxious gaming world awaits. And I await you guys to tell me, because I probably won't be there at the sticks with you. Having said that, when it comes time to create a team... Anyone who's not playing with Pate State is no friend of this program. So, yes, we have got a big summer ahead of us, and productivity will grind to a halt when this thing comes out, and I'm all for it because at least you're focused on the greatest game in the world one way or the other. That's our show for tonight. We will be back same time Sunday night. Until then, for producer Jesse, for director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great start to your weekend, and God bless. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.